jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, for as a mouse is Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 234, Forecast, Smiles and Sunshine, Sunday, October 27th, 2019. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. I also keep pretty good notes on all of my knitting projects on my Ravelry page. Today's episode contains the following segments, prizes, news, and announcements, yarn lover at large, and so forth, and we'll close with a poem in Off the Shelf. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast stays on the air thanks to your purchases of my knitting patterns. They're available on Ravelry, and during this, the month of October 2019, you can save $2 on any of my sock patterns by using the code SOCKTOBER19 at checkout. In addition, a lovely, lovely listener, Annette, from Asheville, North Carolina, has offered to give away three patterns for my latest design, Forest Floor Socks. Isn't that nice? All you need to do is make a comment in the Ravelry thread for this episode. And since Annette's Ravelry handle is read or knit, I thought I would make the prompt what is something in your reading or knitting queue at the moment? Something that you'll get to within the next few weeks or so. So drop a line in that Ravelry thread, and then when I host the next episode, I will announce the winners. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Annette. It's a very kind support of the podcast. It is a very dark, dreary, and rainy early morning here in Delaware Water Gap, Pennsylvania. We had a long day with a beautiful bike ride and a late night last night, but I got up early because I have so many things to talk to you about, and I was really eager to record an episode this morning. One of the things I've been wanting to do since this knit-along started is award the prizes for the Marie Wallen Cal. One of the highlights of my Rhinebeck weekend was to see some beautiful Marie Wallen knits. We had a small but mighty meetup. I think there were lots of other Marie Wallen knitters there, but... I don't think we found each other. Uh, however, I was able to see Corinne's beautiful burra cowl 
and Mary Beth's hat. It's from the kit uh, with Marie Wallen's yarn. I don't know the name of it, but she brought her hat along. And Nancy wore her absolutely gorgeous muckle row. It was wonderful to see all of those knits, to talk about the designs over the course of the weekend. I was able to show quite a few people the steak sandwich that I did on Yell, and it turned out to be a pretty lovely day for wearing hand knits. It started out cool but calm, and then by the afternoon it was quite sunny and warm but still cool in the shade and there was a bit of a breeze at times. I'm very pleased to announce that the winner of the goodie bag, which has grown substantially since my trip to Rhinebeck, in addition to goodies uh, from the retreat in April, I had some duplicates of things that I tucked into there, I was able to add a copy of Taproot Magazine. They were giving away copies of a previous issue. So there's a lovely issue of Taproot in there. There are some yarn samples from new yarn company Hudson and West, as well as a project bag. I'm trying to think what else. There are some skeins of yarn in there. There's a little a notepad from a new booth called The C Word, all about crochet, that I visited at Rhinebeck this weekend. It's a lovely, lovely, lovely goodie bag of delights uh, for you to use or share with friends. And that prize goes to Mom Diggity, who is Joanne from Seattle. I also promised a $25 gift certificate to the Woolly Thistle, and for that I decided to draw from, draw at random from the posts to hashtag Marie Wallen K-A-L on Instagram. And I had Samuel help me by calling out a number, and I just went to recent posts and started counting backwards. And I landed on Anazette, A-N-N-I-Z-E-T-E. Anazette knit a beautiful pair of Skiri's mittens. I'm pretty sure they're from the Shetland book. And I do have plans to knit that pair since I want to work my way through most of the patterns in Marie Wallen's Shetland book. If you heard your name in these prize announcements, please send me a message uh, via personal message on Ravelry or Instagram so I can gather the information needed to get you your prize. And thank you so much to everyone who has knit along. I'm sending extra love to those who are still working on completing projects. Marie Wallen Designs are Certainly an undertaking. We are to be commended for enlisting in that effort, and sometimes it takes a little more time than anticipated. I certainly did not anticipate spending April through October working on one pattern, so I can appreciate (laughs) the challenges that you may be facing and the monumental task of doing some of that knitting. 
I feel like what makes it so rewarding is the extremely pleasing way her motifs come together. And they're often very subtle and feminine in terms of the color work because she doesn't really go for stark contrasts in many of her designs. And I feel like I've learned a lot in working with color by looking at her designs and then trying to not just replicate the yarn choices she made, but try to create the same effect or a similar effect by using yarn from a different company. So congratulations and thank you for knitting with me. One knit along ends and a new make along begins. November and December will be dedicated to a home deck make along. And that is an invitation to use any of the fiber arts to create something for the home. It could be your home or it could be something that will be given as a gift. And even though that officially starts on November 1, I'm going to open up a Ravelry thread for chat about that and eventually prizes. And we will also use hashtag H-O-M-E-D-E-C-M-A-L, Home Deck Make Along, on Instagram. So I'm eager to see what all of you come up with for this make-along, and I am very interested in any prize donations that listeners may have. So if you are a maker, if you sell something online and you'd like to make a contribution, it's a great way to get others to hear about what you do, and I welcome those donations. Uh, It could also be a pattern prize donation or something else that you think of. It would be great to receive some of those and then give them out to winners at, uh, probably we'll award them in the new year. For my own part, my ideas so far are things that I can make for my table And I will be talking about them more in another episode because I have so many things I want to talk to you about today that I think I'll save them for down the road. Yarn lover at large. I've had exactly one week of recovery time from Rhinebeck. Actually, for me, there's not too much in the way of recovering because I tend not to overdo it. I'm just not capable of overdoing it (laughs) when it comes to Rhinebeck or any other festival. We um, decided kind of late that Samuel and I would both go to the New York Sheep and Wool Festival And our options were somewhat limited in terms of a rental uh, or Airbnb. And I was really committed to staying in Rosendale because one of the most fun things about the Rhinebeck weekend is visiting with friends like Mary Beth and Tony. So we found a rental and went up on Thursday afternoon. Our first night was 
less than ideal. And I sort of saw the whole weekend flash before my eyes and thought about just getting up and going home because we didn't sleep well and there were various sources of discomfort. Uh, But we rallied. Uh, Samuel said, no, let's go. Let's, no, we're not going to leave. We're going to go to the festival. And uh, he kind of pulled me out of a a little bit of a dark spot that I found myself in on Friday morning. And uh, armed with um, Tylenol PM and earplugs, because I was not a savvy traveler to have those things with me in the first place, Uh, We did stay the second night, and we were able to have a really fun weekend after a bit of a rocky start. So Friday was an absolutely gorgeous fall day, and we love the town of Rosendale, New York. It's such a fun, funky, small and walkable town. Samuel's band has performed there quite a few times, so we've gotten to know it well There's a lovely vintage shop, there's a bookstore, there's an amazing cheese store. So we did a little shopping and we also went up on the rail trail, which is one of my favorite things about Rosendale, is the walking. There's kind of like a bridge-to-bridge loop that you can make around the town and it's been newly paved on one side with a kind of a pedestrian zone along the street And then just, it's walkable or just a short drive away is parking for the rail trail. And there's an amazing trestle bridge that you can walk or bike over and get an amazing view of the valley um, and the gorgeous color of the trees. It was just beautiful. So we went up there and Samuel took some photographs of a new make the York Pinafore, and I will talk about that quite a bit more at the end of this episode. And we just had a really nice walk absorbing the beauty of fall and treating it kind of like a mini vacation since um, the bathroom project precluded any vacationing that we could do this summer. On Friday afternoon, Mary Beth and Tony arrived from Pittsburgh and we hung out with them. We sampled some amazing bourbon. Um, Mary Beth let me try on all of the sweaters and tunics and things that she brought with her. And one that really impressed me was the apron dress. It's the dress she's wearing in all of the photos from Saturday. It's beautiful golden corduroy. And I really like the lines of the dress, even though it's a somewhat um, like utilitarian garment, it has a feminine line to it and the pockets are really generous and awesome. So I was super happy to try that on because that's definitely going into my making cue later. And she, of course, wore it so well, so adorably all weekend long. We had an amazing and lovely dinner at the 1850 house on Friday evening. And then on Saturday morning, we got up early and Mary Beth and Tony were so kind to transport me to the festival early, allowing Samuel a bit of a lion. 
So we got there early. We did our usual getting in line, waiting, and getting really excited watching all of the sweaters. Saturday was amazing for sweaters. It was cool in the morning. I think I said this earlier. Uh, Everyone was bundled up a little bit with hats and scarves and their lovely Rhinebeck sweaters and just all that excitement. And then when the gates opened, we made a dash straight to the Battenkill Fiber Mill booth. That was, we agreed that that was our first destination and we both were able to purchase gorgeous yardage from Lily Marsh. She had some dyed yardage and oh, just really beautiful, lovely things. So my big special purchase at Rhinebeck this year was a yard and a half of fabric that she said was initially kind of a mistake. She had more warp left on the loom than she bargained for and just started fooling around a little bit with some different colors. So it's subtle and I think the predominant Uh, color coming forward in this fabric is like a rusty burgundy Uh, but upon closer look there are different colored threads weaving through it and my plan for this piece of fabric is a skirt Um, I'm not sure of the pattern that I will use yet I think I'll just let it sit and and sort of simmer in my mind for a while the same way I did with my previous piece of purchased yardage, but I feel pretty confident that this will become a skirt. I bought a yard and a half, so a dress or tunic uh, will not work for that amount of yardage. And I have been wanting um, to add a a wool, a very warm wool skirt to my wardrobe. I have a few um, that are over 10 years old. They're they're starting to really wear thin, and I think this would be a great way to showcase that lovely, lovely fabric. So um, purchasing locally made textiles is certainly an investment, uh, but it's something that I feel really good about and Given the work that I did with the fabric um, I bought in the spring, I'm growing in my confidence and my thoughts about how to use it. Uh, Also at Battenkill, there were purchases from Midnight Mercantile. A lot of things I bought were gifts, so you will not see them in my haul photos. As you know, I have a very... um, sort of handmade, gift-worthy family. So Rhinebeck is a great place to do some shopping. Um, I also snatched up some yarn that um, in the booth that from Hudson and West and bought two skeins, even though the gals, uh, Megan and Sloan, were not there yet. Um, I bought a few skeins of Weld, and then later on... Mary Beth and I went back and I was able to collect a few samples, a few color cards, and some swag. And I also bought another skein of weld in one of their dyed colors. 
I talked about Hudson and West in my previous episode. It's a collaboration between two gals. Mary Jean Packer of Batten Kill Fiber Mill helped to forge this relationship and processes the yarn. It is absolutely beautiful stuff available in two weights, Weld, which is a fingering and available in 50 gram skeins, and Forge, which is a worsted weight. And their colors are, um, I guess, sort of like deep, true colors, uh, very... I guess there's a a bit of a contemporary edge to them, but I think they could also be seen as like tried and true traditional colors. And I expect that they will do very well and grow quickly in popularity because the yarn is straightforward and easy to understand. And they had a number of samples knit up that I think will have really wide appeal and look absolutely beautiful in the yarn. So it was a pleasure to meet them, and uh, I picked up those three skeins for a sample. I have a small collection in mind, and there are times when I wish, wish, wish I could dedicate my all of my time to working on the designs I have in my head. Uh, this will probably take me a while to get together, uh, get tech edited, and test knit, but Uh, I think that the concept uh, for this collection is powerful enough that I will be able to uh, keep going over a long period of time, and I can't wait um, to get these designs out to you and show knitters uh, what I've been dreaming up in my head for quite a few months now. We made a quick dash after uh, visiting Battenkill to... Carol of Foster Sheep Farm. I was dying to see her plant dyed um, Concordia, and I think she had, I think she had her plant dyed yarns in two bases now. Uh, but she talked to me about the process and showed me all of the beautiful colors, and I was just really taken by one called Indigo Afterglow. Um, it was kind of a exhaust dye bath following her indigo dyeing, and it has sort of a gorgeous um, purple hue to it. There's blue, there's purple. It's kind of luminous on the Concordia base. Oh, I just love it. So I bought a skein of that, and also, of course, some of her Northumberland sock, which is one of my absolute favorites for sock knitting. Uh, I have a design in mind to go with that as well. And then I shopped uh, for some of Mary Jean's beautiful soaps. And this year she had, oh my God, it was so much fun. She had a cast iron skillet looking soap dish with a fried egg soap inside. So cute. Such an amazing gift. Um... One of my regrets was not buying about 10 of those, but I did bring home one and it will make a lovely gift for someone. I attended two meetups. I already talked a little bit about the Marie Wallen meetup and that kind of spanned through the podcaster meetup. So I was able to talk to some lovely listeners 
I am so appreciative of being told what you like about the podcast, and I received some really thoughtful, um, emotional comments from some listeners. It was incredibly powerful, and it really helps me to sustain the energy it takes. You know, it's especially on a morning like today, it would be so much easier not to come over here to the studio and record uh, and just sort of get up, make coffee and start slogging through my day. But knowing that there are perceptive, intelligent, discriminating minds out there really listening to the podcast and enjoying what I put into the world, it means everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. In the afternoon, I met up with quite a few pals from the Knit Local Getaway. We sat on the grass, we showed each other some of our purchases and caught up a bit since the last time we saw each other. Everyone had that sort of like exhausted, happy glow. Uh, and it was really nice to smile and chat and laugh along with you. Samuel was there by that time. He uh, made it through the traffic and the parking and looked great in a cowl I made for him for Christmas last year. And I made it with all things that we had purchased at Rhinebeck 2018. We purchased some beautiful Coriadale yarn from Karen Kennedy of Onsenbrook Farm. And I was eager to try that in something for Samuel because he tends to have an aversion to wool and a, an extremely sensitive skin, especially on his neck. And I thought we would try that because I know her cormo is just so soft and scrumptious. And it worked, and he wears it so well. He had also picked out apple wood buttons. I'm forgetting the name of the vendor, but we were able to stop by and see her and see Karen, and he showed off his cowl because I said, you know, people, salespeople at Rhinebeck love when you buy their stuff, but they also like to know that you used it and you're enjoying it, and they like to see what you made out of things. So we had a fun time visiting some vendors and doing a lot of people watching. I came to the festival prepared with quite a few snacks and a beverage because I don't care to wait in long lines for food. And around the middle of the day, I was hungry for something a little more substantial and was pleased to find an almost zero weight at the pretzel booth and got a pretzel dog. It was perfect. It was so perfect. I think I will always get a pretzel dog. <laughs> it was hot. It was delicious. Uh, didn't have to wait in line. And then Mary Beth, Tony, and I found a really nice spot at one of the picnic benches near there, and it was great for people watching. So I just sat for a while and watched all the sweaters go by to see if I could identify any trends. And I was looking also to see if I could find a Hildemore because I wanted to see one in person. Uh, I did not see one at that time, but I feel like the trend was toward cropped sweaters, 
if anything. And there are a couple of designs that seem to fit and flatter a number of people of different shapes and sizes. One of those is Ursa. I saw so many women wearing that well, really reinforce what a beautiful design that is. Uh, And then another one I saw was the Carbeth. It seems like quite a few friend groups decided to knit Carbeths in different colors and wear them, and they looked fantastic. And it seemed to me that people went in their own directions with their sweaters a little more than in previous years when one design seemed to dominate the landscape. And that made my heart sing because I love when people go their own way. There was some gorgeous color work. Um, There were some like outlandish things. And then toward the end of the day, just as we were about to leave, I saw a young woman wearing a Hildemore and it was awesome. This is a design I've been eyeing from Yuko Shimizu. It's a vest that buttons on the sides and has a bit of smocking in the center back, which is a technique I am very eager to use. It uses Aran or bulky weight yarn, so it, it will knit up quick and looks really great over a dress or a tunic, um, which I think will fit really nicely into my wardrobe. My only challenge is the yarn, and I I really didn't see, I wasn't specifically shopping for a bulky or Aran weight yarn at the festival, but it just happens that in my travels, I didn't see that. I went through my stash upon returning from the festival and I have two skeins of Blacker Yarns Tour, which was their birthday yarn from last year, a few years ago, um, in an Aran weight and the natural color. And I need three skeins to knit the Hildemore. I've inquired of a few people um, who have their yarn up on Ravelry, but I haven't received a reply. So Corrine and Emily suggested that I put out a call. (laughs) If you have a skein of Blacker Yarns Tour in the natural color that I could coax out of your stash, please message me and let me know. A lot of people put yarn into their stash on Ravelry and then they mark it, you know, not for sale. But, you know, sometimes things change and our understanding of how we'll use our stash or what we're excited about knitting changes. And, uh, you know, maybe your plans for that yarn are not as firm as they once were. So please let me know. It's something that I expect to pay for and pay to have sent to me, uh, but I am interested in making a purchase of one skein, or if you have two and you don't want to separate them, that's fine. I will buy both of them. So I guess that's kind of a, a good way to end a discussion of a fiber festival is just thinking about what's next in the queue and 
what I'm excited about knitting. One other purchase that I made was a pattern for the Glynn sweater by Whitney Hayward of Harrisville Designs. The Harrisville booth um, in building A, C, uh, was extremely crowded. Tony was kind enough to take a pattern and money and purchase for me since Mary Beth had also decided to get one. And I thought quite a bit about getting um, the nightshades yarn for this pattern, but I just, I couldn't get my head around it <laughs> on Saturday when I was there and it's available online. So maybe further down the road when I am ready to knit the sweater, I will consider the nightshades for it. It's certainly beautiful yarn and I tried on a sweater that Mary Beth knit with nightshades. I think it has that the deep blue hue to it. Oh, it's just really wonderful stuff. Um, but I'm not going to knit Glynn immediately, I don't think. I have some other things in mind first. Uh, Glynn is a quite fitted and I wouldn't say cropped, but it comes just to the waist pullover sweater. And then it has um, triangular panels at the side that wrap in front and then it ties. So it's elegant. It's sort of reminiscent of um, like a warm-up sweater that ballet dancers wear that ties around the waist sometimes. But the whole thing is not a wrap. It's a pullover and then it has those features on the sides. It looks absolutely lovely, and for my size, it requires only three skeins of the Nightshades, which is a um, DK weight yarn. So that's definitely in my queue, and it solidified, my visit to Rhinebeck solidified my interest in the Hildemore, and I have uh, quite a few things on the needles um, since finishing that Yell sweater, uh, so I have Lots of knitting in my future, as well as some projects for that home deck make-along. At the end of the day, we drove south along the east side of the Hudson, and we had a beautiful drive with very little traffic. It was sad uh, not to see the leaping llamas, especially when I found out that Ella won and she is my absolute favorite competitor of the Leaping Llamas contest. I first met her way back, I think it's been four or five years now. I met her in the spring when Fernanda and I visited um, the Cashmere Goats at um, St. Mary's on the Hill. Ella was the loveliest spinner doing a spinning demo outside of the barn. And since then, um, it's been such a pleasure to watch her grow up and handle the goats and be such a great um, steward of um, the goats and the fiber arts. And I just really am so pleased for her. I was able to catch, I forget what, I was watching a few Rhinebeck episodes. Is it Books and Cables, maybe? 
Uh, she had a little bit of footage of the Leaping Llamas competition in her Rhinebeck episode, and I, I didn't see Ella win, but I saw her competing with her goat. So that was really cool. And the other thing about not spending two days at Rhinebeck is there's no two outfits to wear and show off. So I wore um, my other sort of Rhinebeck garment on Friday and sort of took it for its maiden voyage around Rosendale. And I wanted to take some time and tell you about the making and dyeing of my York pinafore. It took me a while to decide on the pattern that I would use for two yards of crepe weave, about 40 inches wide, uh, that I purchased from Lily Marsh in April. This was undyed. The wool is um, East Frisian, and I think there was 15 or 20% alpaca fiber also. And the alpaca had, a, I think, a bit of a brownish color. So it looked a little oatmeal-y or heathered, the fabric. And it, you know, sat in my stash. I looked at it frequently and thought about what I could do with it. My initial idea was a, a short jacket. But then I decided that I would make a pinafore, or I would try to. (laughs) And I ordered the York pinafore pattern from Helen's Closet. This is a much-loved design and lots and lots of examples on Instagram. It also has a couple variations in the design. So I bought it and... It's a print at home pattern, which is not my favorite thing to do, but this design is simple enough that it wasn't too much of a headache. And I was super impressed with the thoughtfulness of the directions. Uh, If you have never sewn anything in your life before, this would be a wonderful place to start with the York Pinafore because Helen really walked you through absolutely everything you need to know. And even as a more experienced sewist, I found that really helpful and I found it um, easy to follow and look at and even a couple things that I would not have considered were included. I decided to cut out full pattern pieces. So as is usually the case with a design for a dress or something that has like a back and a front, you cut out a pattern piece that looks like half of that and you fold your fabric, you put your pattern down and then you cut. But with something woven that can shift a lot, um, it's a good idea or if you're doing Um, pattern matching. It's a good idea to cut out full-sized, full-scale versions of your pattern pieces and put them directly on a flat piece of fabric. Um, So what I was able to do was put um, the bottom of the skirt back facing one way and the bottom of the skirt front facing the other way with the um, overall type top 
going toward the center and I was able to fit both of those pattern pieces as well as the very generously sized pockets onto my handwoven fabric. I very carefully cut it out and then immediately stay stitched around the neckline and the armholes and edge stitched around the entire piece, every piece of fabric. Um, this took quite a while and quite a bit of thread, but I was very concerned about losing any of the fabric to fraying. And my initial thought was that <clears throat> I would um, dye the pattern pieces before making the garment. And I didn't want them to fray or deteriorate in the dye. I ended up not doing that. I ended up sewing the entire garment before dyeing. Um, and I think I made a good choice in doing that. I took a lot longer to complete this project than I initially anticipated. And I think that worked out well in terms of my walnut dye. So back in early October, I gathered walnuts and I pounded the holes from around the nut and I put them in two stainless steel stock pots and filled them with water and just let them sit. I had looked at a number of resources for dyeing with walnuts and they all said to let the holes soak for... 24 hours before continuing with the rest of the process. So in my case, that 24 hours extended to two weeks. <laughs> um, and there were a few bees that had contributed their lives to the cause. But other than that, um, you know, there really wasn't anything unpleasant about the dye bath. It didn't mold or get weird in any way. In fact, I think a walnut dye bath has like a very pleasant scent to it. Um, so when I was finally ready to use the dye, I strained each of these pots through first a metal strainer just to collect all of the hull, like the, the vegetable mass. And then I put it through again with some cheesecloth just to catch kind of the finer debris. And mostly that was because I didn't want it lodged in my fabric. Um, if I had been dyeing a, a cloth with a tighter weave, I don't think I would have even worried about it that much. Um, but I didn't want little bits and pieces stuck in my fabric. So I strained it and then I put those two stainless steel stock pots on my stove, I brought it up to a simmer and then I kept it at a simmer for about an hour. In the meantime, while that was simmering, I filled a big plastic bucket with screaming hot water from my tap downstairs and I submerged my sewn tunic into that bucket. And then it occurred to me that there could be some spinning oil on the fabric. 
So I added a bit of unicorn wash to that just to try and remove some of the grease or oil or lanolin, really just for the purpose of, you know, that will help the fabric resist dye. It's not really that, you know, the oils are that unpleasant necessarily, but um, the fabric won't take the dye that well if they're on there. And I'm really glad that I did it because my resulting tunic was much different in color than the little scrap of sample fabric that I had initially put into that dye pot just to kind of get an idea. So I'm not sure what to attribute that to. I'm not sure whether to attribute the difference in color to scouring the fabric a little bit and removing some of the spinning oil or whether the simmering of the dye really made a difference in the color. I'm not sure, but one or both of those really did make a difference. So um, while that soaked, the dye was simmering, and then I wrung out my garment as best as I could. I removed as much of the water from it as I possibly could, And then into that large plastic bucket went both of my simmering pots of walnut dye. And I strained it through cheesecloth one more time as I poured it into that bucket. And then I just submerged my damp tunic into the dye and let it sit there until the bucket was cool which it was outdoors and that took a couple of hours. And every once in a while, I would check it, I would move it around, I would just make sure that everything was under the surface of the dye bath so nothing was like sticking out and not getting color. And I was so pleased with the lovely shade of brown that it was turning. Um, And I was also pleased with myself for remembering that polyester thread will not take dye. So um, I used a brown thread to do all of the visible stitching on the garment. And it would have been very noticeable if I had not done that. So I'm glad that in the nick of time, I thought of that. So after the dye bath cooled, I removed the tunic I squeezed as much of the dye out of it as I possibly could, and then I let it dry completely, absolutely bone dry. And that took a day or two. Uh, We had some sunny, breezy days. And then I just used bucket after bucket of pretty screaming hot water, and just kept submerging it, pulling it out, squeezing it out, and then getting a fresh bucket of water. And I did this until no more dye seemed to be you know, coming out of the pinafore as I was rinsing it. I also tried not to agitate uh, the dress in the water too much. Uh, But I was using very hot water and I wasn't shocking it from hot to cold. So I wasn't too worried about that. Uh, But it is something, um, you know, that occurred to me to be careful. That took about four 
rinse baths. And like I said, I didn't really agitate it too much. I just, you know, plunked it in there. And then as soon as the water turned brown, I pretty much pulled it back out and got a new bucket of water. So after four rinses, I squeezed all of the water, rolled it in a towel, stood on the towel, that kind of thing to really, really, really get as much water out of it as I could and then let it dry. Uh, It was sort of a crumpled mess, but I just took it up to my steam iron, turned it inside out and gave it a little iron with my iron kind of on full steam and hovering over the fabric. And it, it just pressed out beautifully. And, uh, I really like the result. The fit is nice. It's warm. It's very, very warm. Uh, the color is this beautiful, rich walnut brown color. And um, I left the bottom of the dress unhemmed. I wasn't sure about hemming it. And I left it unhemmed. I may cut a little bit off the bottom later and just finish it again. I don't know. I just kind of like the way the raw, I mean, it's it's edge stitched, but I kind of like the way the raw edge is at the bottom of the dress. It's pretty good. I didn't think I would like the York Pinafore as much as I do, but it's really good. My only error is um, the two straps at the shoulder are noticeably different in width. I think one of them maybe I edge stitched a little further into the fabric than the other or I had a bit of trouble turning one side using the bias tape. I don't know. I noticed it. Mary Beth said, don't think about it. Um, And certainly with my hair or with the scarf and jewelry, it's it's not drawing a lot of attention to itself. But I did notice when I was putting it on that one of the shoulder straps is wider than the other. And the pockets are also, the pockets have like a handmade feel to them. I think just because of the thicknesses of the fabric and stitching them on, I'm not sure what I could do differently about that. Uh, So I'm just going to go with it. They're really useful, lovely pockets to have. So I'm going to go with it. I am left with a bucket of really pretty potent walnut dye still. Uh, It's nowhere near exhausted. And I keep thinking about things that I might plunk into that. And I I think I'm just going to keep the dye bath. I also thought it would be really beautiful to combine that with an indigo dye bath or to dip in indigo and then to dip in the brown or vice versa, because I think that would make just a beautifully deep and rich color. So I may try that with maybe like a knit t-shirt or something um, that I could wear with this tunic, because I think it would be really neat to have a coordinating color shirt to go underneath. Um, And I wish you all lived closer to me so you could just bring something over to try out the walnut dye bath. But I thought listeners would be interested in 
understanding my journey with that. And it really is pretty simple and something you could try at home if you have walnuts on a walk near you. One of the beauties of using a walnut dye bath is similar to the indigo. It doesn't need any mordant. It kind of supplies its own mordant and the dye bites into pretty much any fabric. The thing with walnut as opposed to indigo is the the color does deepen the longer you leave it in the dye bath within reason. And I think the thing about simmering is the warmer temperature of the dye bath also assists in biting into the fiber a little more readily than if you just put your fabric into a cold bath. I think you would still get some color, but I think that the color is enhanced with the higher temperature. For Off the Shelf today, I'm going to share a poem by a new-to-me poet. I was listening to episode 114 of the Love to Sew podcast. The guest was Michelle Brown, and she was talking about sustainable fabrics and her little company. She also mentioned that she recently published a collection of poetry called Safe Words with Palimpsest Press. I don't own the book, but in doing a little bit of searching online, I was able to find some of her published works on websites of other literary journals. And one is called The Puritan. It's a Canadian lit mag. And in that um, issue and available online is a poem of Michelle Brown's called Italian Vacation. In reading about her work, it seems that a constant area of focus is this idea of initiation or rites of passage. And I think that could be important to keep in mind while listening to this poem. Italian Vacation by Michelle Brown. The trees bow with dead lemons. Chickens crash in the bushes. My dreams are full of them. An earthquake shook the sphere and seawater still leaks from the sky. A red stalk waves for me. Each mouthful of wine a wedding. I grab my own neck in the mirror. I grab my own hand and squeeze. I am far away from here. I am eating well. My skin is plump. When darkness comes, let him sit with me. I can stay in this hammock. I can behave as I should. Geckos crawl into my shadow where the heavier tomatoes fall. Wasps swarm around me. I wonder which limb they'll remove first. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week cultivating your post-apocalyptic skill set and doing all of the crafting you enjoy.